0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's guest really needs no introduction, but I am going to introduce her anyway because she is so incredible and so accomplished and such a complete leader in this Industry. Dr. Romani is a licensed clinical psychologist in Los Angeles, California, professor emerita of psychology at Cal State LA, and the founder of Luna Education, Training and Consultancy, a company that focuses on educating individuals, clinicians, and business institutions. On the impact of narcissistic personality styles. Her academic research was focused on the impact of personality and personality disorders on health and behavior. She is an author of multiple books, including Should I Stay or Should I Go? Surviving a relationship with a narcissist and Don't You Know Who I Am? How to Stay Sane in an Era of Narcissism Entitlement and Incivility. And her new book, it's not you. Identifying and Healing from Narcissistic People is being released right now. Dr. Romani is a faculty member for the APA Leadership Institute for Women in Psychology and a consulting editor of the journal Behavioral Medicine. She has spoken widely on the impact of narcissism on mental health relationships in the workplace and she also operates a popular YouTube channel and podcast, Navigating Narcissism. Dr. Romani is also working with PESI on the development of an educational and certification program for clinicians working with clients experiencing the fallout of narcissistic relationships. Oh my gosh. Listen, we're here today talking about her new book, It's Not You, identifying and healing from narcissistic people. Uh, I love this book, obviously and this is such a great conversation that I, I really hope every single one of you will not only listen to but will share with the people in your lives. I also want you all to get this book. We will link to it in the show notes. It's very important. This is one of the you know first books that really focuses on you. Not just the narcissists and what they're doing and their behaviors and all of those things, and you know, (laughs) which is so narcissistic, right? That they managed to get us to keep our focus on them. This book is the guide for how to keep the focus on yourself and understand what's happening to you in these relationships. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Romani. Dr. Romani, thank you so much for being here.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: I am so incredibly excited to talk to you about your book. It's not you identifying and healing from narcissistic people. I, I feel like the the message of your book is one of the greatest gifts, and also one of the hardest, like things to to grasp when you're in this kind of situation, right? It's not you, right? And you've sort of dedicated this entire book to the experience of the people who are, you know, we spend so much time asking, you know, what is a narcissist? Is he a narcissist? So why did you think it was important to write this book from this other perspective?
1: Well, so many of the books about narcissism are about narcissism and the narcissistic people. What are they describing them? Why do they do the things they do? What are the things they do? Why are they the way they are? I've written a couple of those books myself. Mm -hmm. This is the book from the survivor perspective, what it does to a person in the relationship. Why, you know, we already know, we know the what's and the why's and all of that, but there's been so much less interest in the survivors, which has always been flabbergasting to me, but it is the case. And this is a book about the survivors, for the survivors, that all these years, the amount of hope that was wasted on believing that this person would change and the relationship would be better to transfer that hope instead to themselves, that there is a path forward, whatever that looks like. And in this case, people listening to this are going through a divorce. They've made the really difficult decision to leave a relationship or in the process of making Mm -hmm. that decision, right? right? Right, And. And will every single one of them who divorced, got a divorce from a narcissistic person, especially if they initiated it, know the hellscape that became really, really quick, the vindictiveness, the post-separation abuse, all of it. And even those who were left by the narcissistic person will say, this was absolutely treacherous. And I didn't even ask for this. So it is, it is, I think I was struck by how misunderstood the or not understood the experience yeah. of the survivor was by mental health and i thought let me write a, a book for the survivor so to to sort of help them un uncrazy themselves because they've been walking around feeling like that for so long
0: yeah, it's so interesting, right? It's like, oh, look, the narcissist is winning yet again, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to talk about the experience of, of what it's like to be in a narcissist and we're going to center it all about all around the narcissist, mm-hmm. just like the narcissist mm-hmm. wants, mm-hmm. right? It's, That's right. That's right. It's unbelievable, yeah. right? It's like even as clinicians, we fall into the trap, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. of of the narcissist, yeah, and you start this book by there's a quote about a lion. Could you? Can you?
1: Mm-hmm. Speak to that offhand because I think it's a really yeah. it, it goes. The tale of the hunt has always been that yeah. The tale of the hunt has always been told by the hunter and never the lion. And I say then this this book is the story of the lion. We often think of the lion as fierce and all that, but when the hunter is pursuing, and I, I, that's why I love the proverb. The hun- yeah. the lion is strong. The lion is a badass, but the hunter's got the gun, right. and. If they get the lion cornered, we've always heard, you know, we think about the, the the hunter and how they pursued their prey and how they caught their prey and how they triumphed over their prey, but we don't hear the story of the prey, of mm-hmm. the lion. And so this is the story of the lion. This is the story mm-hmm. of the people in these relationships because of most of our narratives in history have been the story of the narcissist. Every history book is a story of narcissists. Every story of war is a story of narcissists. You know, even our fairy tales are stories about narcissistic people. But we very rarely talk about the people who are on the receiving end of these dynamics.
0: Yes, yes. With all that said, right, you do start the book with a, with a bit of an understanding the narcissist just to, just so we get a baseline of understanding of what we're talking about or like a agreement right you know one of the things you talk about which i think is really interesting is that you know narcissism is obviously we know a spectrum mm-hmm. and other than narcissistic personality disorder which we know is very rare right this is a you this is you very clear to emphasize that narcissism is a personality style. Mm -hmm. It is a series of traits. This is Mm -hmm. not a diagnosis Mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that and why that's so important for people to understand?
1: So we all have a personality. The narcissistic people have a personality. Their personality happens to be narcissistic. Some people are agreeable. Some people are hyper-conscientious. Some people are stubborn. I mean, there are different personality styles out there. and Many times we have multiple styles that come together. But we all have one, and they're all they're pretty stable. Uh, the healthier the personality, the more flexible it is, and all of that. But the narcissistic personality style is different than a personality disorder. So a personality style, the description of the narcissistic personality style, which is, you know. Inconsistent, low empathy or, you know, non-genuine empathy, entitlement, grandiosity, arrogance, validation seeking, a need for control, a need for power and dominance, selfishness, or what we call egocentricity, takes advantage of people. You know, everything's very self-serving, manipulative, gaslighting, jealous, competitive. I mean, the list goes on, right? Superficial. Those are all the qualities and behaviors we see around a narcissistic person. A personality disorder is what we observe in a person where the personality style is not only obviously showing up in a variety of situations and circumstances, but it's either ca- causing them distress. So they're uncomfortable with it, or it's causing impair- impairments in their lives. But if they're not sharing that with a therapist, they're sitting in a the therapist's office saying everything in my life is fine. My big problem is that everyone's out to get me and, or you know I I'm such a I was a great person at work and all these people are out to get me. And listen, if it's a savvy therapist, they're going to hear that victimized narrative and say, okay, something's happening here. but at the face of it, the narcissistic person isn't saying, and my life is blowing up and I'm real you know I'm n- not doing well in my relationships, whatever it may be. And they're probably not getting into therapy in the first place in many cases. So when you combine all of that up, one of the big challenges has become, and the pushback I've often gotten is, well, if these folks who have narcissistic personalities have a disorder, is it then not wrong to castigate them or hold them to a standard because maybe they can't help it because they have a disorder? the, The argument being that, is it fair to be frustrated with a depressed person who may, for example, not get out of bed and not be able to work and not be able to concentrate, right? One would say, well, those are frustrating things if you're in a relationship. Depression's an illness, right?
0: Right. That same
1: illness argument was being made And so people were saying, well, you're, and so what they made it once again, they put the survivors on their back foot saying, well, are you really being fair if they actually have a disorder? La, 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 da, 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 da. da." And I think that getting lost in the, in the weeds on whether this is a diagnosis, some people were doubting it. They're like, well, I don't know if they have a diagnosis and I don't know how to do a diagnosis. I'm like, forget the damn diagnosis. This person is behaving in this way. That's completely consistent with his personality style. Let it go. You've got a problem. And above all else, forget the calling them narcissistic. In fact, most people going through divorces, I say, get that word out of your vocabulary until you get to the other side of family court, because you take that word into a courtroom, you're screwed. You take that in front of a mediator, you're going to get into trouble. So Mm -hmm. it's meant to be an organizing framework. So you can see how it all hangs together. You know, the behavior that's going to come and above all else, you know, it's probably not going to change.
0: That's right. That's right. It's interesting that, that we would, uh, people would assume that we should have more compassion and empathy mm-hmm. if they're disordered because, you know, antisocial personality disorder is also a disorder. I we
1: totally supposed. agree. <laughs> right?
0: I We're agree. supposed to have compassion for psychopaths. Like, I, really?
1: You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I think part of it then also, it's an interesting conundrum, right? Because I think when we get into this level of the personality disorders where so much of the behavior is disruptive and harmful to others. Right. And especially in this group of personality disorders, it starts to get to be a very, very tricky conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and I think that the field of mental health has failed people who family members, partners, children, colleagues of people with these personality disorders or styles, because it was almost like, well, you know what? Pfft, they got a disorder. So you guys just need to figure it out. You need to figure out the workarounds. And I'm like, no, no, no. We need to tell them that this isn't okay. But I agree with you. I mean, in the same breath, and if people are saying you need to summon up all this, this empathy for a psych, for a narcissistic NPD personality disorder, however, wouldn't that be the case with antisocial personality disorder? I don't think everyone understands these fine nuanced points of diagnosis. <laughs> I don't even think the vast majority of people understand a psychopath and a person right. with antisocial personality disorder is the same thing. Nor right, should right. you know. Right, I mean, these, right, are, these right. are finer points of. I don't know the finer points of dermatologic diagnoses. Why should I?
0: Right, right. But when you're in it, right? When you when you're living it and experiencing it and trying to, you know, suss it out. You know, I always say people say like well is he a narcissist or just an asshole and I my response is you know does it matter like right, you don't want right, to be in right, relationship right. with this person
1: well that's right that and yeah. I think that's where this conversation about diagnosis has gotten so muddy is I want to know I'm like why do you want to know you know if, mm-hmm. if whether it's jerk whether it's asshole whatever it is if it has been stable over time under all kinds of conditions I mean you can at this point you don't again, put it all together. It's there. And more than Mm -hmm. anything, you've been with this person for five, 10, 15, 20 years, you know, it hasn't changed. Why would it change?
0: So then we move. So, you know, moving away from them and into um, the, the, you know, the victims or which, I mean, I use that, I use the word victim because I think it's actually powerful to say, um, to own, but, you know, I think to each their own, right. If, if other people don't, people want to be a survivor, they like, whatever. Call yourself what you are, right? So why is it so desperately hard for people in relationship with narcissists to understand it, to be able to identify it, to be able to see through the the, the cloud of confusion, to understand what's actually happening?
1: When we're in a close relationship with someone, when we're attached to someone, and that could be it starts in childhood with parents, and it certainly shows up in in intimate relationships, we don't want these things to be true. We're going to see things the way we need to see them, and even sort of things will get conveniently displaced for a minute. So we can keep the the attachment, the connection, and all that goes with it, having a family, having Being two parents to children, having a household, being in the identity of being married because you love someone, whatever it may be, that seeing it means not seeing the other thing to other people. I actually think you can see both things simultaneously, but most Mm -hmm. people think it's disloyal to view a spouse this way, you know, or that it's wrong or that it's, you know, who am I to think this, or we all have flaws, you know, quickly get down the the rabbit hole of excuses, but not being able to see it is part and parcel of wanting to stay connected in a loving relationship.
0: Right. Cause you're in it for one thing, right? We are in it for love, for connection, Mm -hmm. for family, Mm -hmm. for all Mm -hmm. these things. Mm -hmm. And to have to wrap your head around the fact that so, that your partner is not in it for the same no. things that you are, that they're in it for power, for control. Yeah. Is like, how do you reconcile that?
1: I think you have to reconcile it because we have to crack out of our beliefs in love and romance and all the stuff we've been sold. It's a bad bill of goods because there's multiple, you, anyone would have an easy time accepting, like, hey, you see that guy? You know why he comes to work every day? Because he wants a paycheck. And you see that gal over there, she comes to work every day because she has her friends here. And you see that person over there, they come here because they think they're going to get advanced because they're trying to get advanced in up the, up the, um, ladder. And this person here actually loves the work. Four people coming in to do the same thing with four different motivations. We understand this in other situations, but we buy this idea that everybody who gets into a relationship has the same schema of love. We don't. I think that if we go anytime we sign contracts for Everything. I was just signing contracts to get windows done. I was getting signing contracts to get blinds done. I was signing contracts to get a seminar set up. I'm reading them line by line. I'm like, okay, okay. I'm very clear. I think more people have more clarity on the damn car they rent than they do the paradigm of love that a partner is bringing them. Because I think we assume, well, we both want the same thing. Do you? Have you really ever had that conversation? And sadly, the narcissistic person might lie and make it sound like they do to bring you into it. But I think that we we want to believe that love is a unitary thing, that everyone sees mm-hmm. it the same ways we do. For narcissistic people, love is really about dominance, power, control, supply, things that work for them, what looks good to the world, status. And for other people, it's connection and closeness and intimacy and all of those things. And uh, we're not on the same page.
0: You know, and add to that, right? So that starts there, right? That's the starting place that we actually are signing, we're signing Mm -hmm. different contracts (laughs) without Mm -hmm. knowing Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. And then add to that that the process of being in a relationship with a narcissist is in itself a brain scramble. You're you're being gaslit. You can't think clearly the piece. Okay. And again, you're trying to fit the pieces into, but if he loves me, but they say that they love me, so you're going back to the contract, like the foundational, right? Right. Can you sort of talk a little bit about what's happening to us when we are gaslit, when we're in this this fog of confusion? Mm-hmm. Like what is what's happening to
1: us? So human beings don't like we don't like tension mm-hmm. and we don't like inconsistency. We need things to fit, right? Mm-hmm. The oldest telling of that, what, Aesop's fables are what, 5,000 years old, 4,000 years old? And you mm-hmm. think of the sour grape story, right? The fox couldn't bear that the grapes could taste good. So he had to say, those grapes are sour, so who cares if I can't reach them? So this concept of cognitive dissonance, of not, of not being able to stand the tension that two things don't fit, is part of the human experience, so we make them fit. And we justify and we, and the first thing people do when they're trying to maintain an attachment is they often blame themselves. Part of that long litany of justifications and excuses. He had a busy day. You know, it's been a hard time she's trying to you know she's trying to get a promotion whatever it may be the excuse after excuse many of which are plausible are made either they're offering the excuses up we're buying into them but then ultimately over time there's also an internalization of blame what am i doing wrong we're always arguing what of this is mine but it's the reduction of tension because if something's happening they say they love me we had a great weekend last weekend we had sex on sunday And then the week began, and it's been gaslighting and manipulation and meanness. It's got to be me. Maybe this is my fault. Maybe I'm asking too much. And when the person does that, that tension, which is like a balloon that's about ready to pop, kind of flops down again, and the tension dissipates, and the person can stay in the relationship. So that's really what it's. It's to maintain the safety of the status quo, to maintain the connection, to maintain the attachment because of the unknown that's on the other side. The challenging thing for people is to maintain that tension, which doesn't have to be tense to say, I'm in a marriage. This person is manipulative and cruel. This is not going to change. They claim to love me. And yeah, we had a good weekend, but it's terrible now. And all of those things are true at the same time. People don't like that. That creates the tension.
0: We don't, right? Because we, well, first of all, it's for non-narcissists, right? That's just not how we function. I am in a relationship. Who I am in the beginning of the relationship. Sure, it may ebb and flow over time, but at least there's con- there's consistency. Right. You you right. know what to expect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the idea that someone else is inconsistent
1: mm-hmm.
0: doesn't compute. Mm-mm, to me, no, right, and at the, and also, as you say in in your book as well, like if they were just assholes from the beginning and just abusive from the beginning, like we wouldn't get into relationship with them.
1: Correct. If they were <laughs> the critical mass of the time, no, we wouldn't. And again, we we do have you know, like listen, there are things that a person may come along with all the right things at all the right time. I mean, many a person will say, "I saw red flags." I was getting at an age where I wanted a child. and and so, you know that there were excuses made around that, or i I saw some problems, but my family loved this person. or there were concerns. But they were so successful. I thought they were super smart, right? All the, all the stories that we tell ourselves. And I think that's part of it is a relationship is two things. A relationship is what is happening in the relationship. And a relationship is the story we tell ourselves about the relationship. And that's the problem is that the story in a narcissistic relationship is completely is not is absolutely no relation to the reality of the relationship right so you're asking what when all this stuff like gaslighting and all the rest of it's happening is people need that story to be okay because it's it's sort of it's it's its own form of reality right and people don't get into marriages thinking it's going to be mediocre ever after they really think they're going to be happy and it's a you know, I think that that's the challenge is that I I want to be married. I want this to be a happy family. I want this to be the thing I thought it could be. I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And so the excuses might be a way to say, maybe if I can make the excuses, I can get that story to be true.
0: Right, right. It's so interesting because you know, having gone through this a few times and we'll talk about the, you know, living a narcissist free life later, (laughs) the possibility, right? Like having been through it a few times, you know, I do think like the lead time gets shorter, but like even recently I was in something and it's true. It's the stories we make up along the way. It's like, well, okay, they're I see from their childhood, how this could, or, you know, maybe they're Maybe Mm -hmm. they're just like Mm -hmm. this or like, oh, well, that's okay because, right, even those of us who are educated about this, who are, have like a sense, right, there is that story that we create to make it make sense and to make it
1: okay, and, and the problem is the making it okay, because listen, compassion and empathy would dictate that let's say we were in a marriage with somebody who had a really rough childhood history. We mm-hmm. almost can absolutely see how mm-hmm. the things they endured in childhood have turned into what they are. Or we 100%. still, we know, we see who their mother is. So we're like, I totally see where that is. Mm-hmm. That's compassion. When we jump the rails over into it's okay, it's not okay. so their behavior is not okay i understand the why the way the way why they are the way they are it all tracks i feel bad for them it's Mm -hmm. also not okay it's more tension more Mm -hmm. tension that's the problem
0: right exactly exactly and these and and also right and this is such a huge point in your book and also it's not your fault that you're doing that it's Mm. not your fault that you're making it that you're trying to make it make sense and make it okay, right? Because this is what, this is, as you said, this is what we do.
1: It's, it's, a, it's absolutely it's, it's natural and human. I think one of the big problems I have is people painting this out purely as codependency. Oh, if you're making justifications, you're codependent, I'm like, mm, let's dig a little deeper because there's attachment stuff here. And listen, if a person doesn't fully understand narcissism, I'm reluctant to call them a codependent. After they're educated on antagonism and narcissism and the whole mess that it is, a lot of people are like, okay, I didn't know then it's never going to change part. Now that I know that, I think I'm actually going to be doing things differently. That willingness to pivot to doing things differently is not a codependency model. But the desire for attachment and making allowances for things is actually a, a complex mishmash of empathy, compassion, circumspection, a need for attachment, and if you throw in there your own wounds, if a person had their own narcissistic parents, they might've had earlier life trauma, there might already be existing self-blame, self-doubt, and an almost indoctrination into being in a narcissistic relationship. It's not the case for everyone, but that trying to reduce the tension in a relationship is the case for all of us, except for the narcissistic folks who actually don't mind the tension.
0: Right. 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 Well, they thrive in the flip flop, yeah. the back and forth. Right. That's well, they and they love destabilizing you. They
1: yes. yes, they love destabilizing. And I put a correction. I actually don't think they love the tension. But what they do when they're tense, they regulate by screaming, yelling great wreaking havoc, doing whatever they want, basically, while so I always say that the survivors of these relationships tend to overregulate, hold back more and more don't say anything, walk Mm -hmm. on eggshells, don't share emotions, don't share words, don't share needs, don't share wants, it's an overregulation. And that's the contrast to the dysregulation of the narcissistic person.
0: Yes, yes. And that's how they, they start to change who we are in in Correct. relationship and in the world right we we start to get smaller and smaller and smaller because we recognize that our the 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 parameters are getting narrower and narrower yes you know I think the other thing to that's so important is this idea that the the target's always moving right mm-hmm. like so mm-hmm. so it's your fault and I think you know it's like traditional couples therapy models will say this is 50, everything's 50 50. Right, And so I think the indoctrination of most people who get into relationships are like, oh, well, everything that happens in a relationship is 50-50. And so I'm going to focus on my part.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus
0: mm-hmm. on myself, which is exactly what the narcissist wants.
1: Mm-hmm. right? Except mm-hmm. the thing that you're supposed to be focusing on is always changing. I think that the thing you're always fo- see the, the the issue becomes is that what people want is they're like, if I could just figure out what they want, I could make this relationship work. Right, right. But even the narcissistic person is unclear what they want, or what they really want is full power, control, and domination. So Mm -hmm. I'd say to someone, oh, what they want is for you to read their mind, to never speak back to them, never have a need, never have a want, be their cheerleader, tell them they're great all the time, tell them that they hung the moon, and Again, constantly anticipate their needs. If you do all of that, this relationship actually will work, but I'm not saying they'll necessarily be nice to you. They're going to take you for granted, but at least they won't yell at you.
0: My sense is that still won't work because ultimately it's this void that it still won't work. They still won't be happy, but it's still going to be your fault.
1: Right. Well, so there's no working. So everyone's like, "How do I make this work?" And I have to tell Mm -hmm. you, there's no making it work. It doesn't work. That's the thing. There's no. There's no work here. It's it's just. It's broken. It doesn't. It simply doesn't function. And so, people get so lost in that whole idea of what can I do? How can I change? How can I be? And the answer is there is nothing you can do. And I think that that is a terrible feeling. Anytime we hear that anytime in our lives there's nothing you can do to fix this do this whatever you want and that that's what goes out the window and that's what's so hard for people who are in these relationships that there's is, there is there is no getting it right because what you're talking about is this concept of subjugation that a narcissistic relationship is about the subjugation of the other in the, in the service of the narcissistic person so even when you're subjugated you're not allowed to have wants You're not allowed to have Mm -hmm. needs. And if you have those things, you're shamed, right? And the narcissistic person in a marriage would do things like saying like, oh my gosh, you're so demanding. You're so selfish. Why is everything about you? And you're thinking about me, like the thing I'm asking you to do is actually for you, you know? So that's where you're you're constantly, constantly confused and trying to make sense of the situation that doesn't make sense until someone comes in and shows you what it is. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're just living in service. And you're right. It is even that is not enough because in a way, this shame that kind of dogs the narcissistic person all along. There's a shame that this is all it is. Like they don't like it when a person comes up to them and says, tell me what to say. Just Mm -hmm. tell me how to say it. They don't like that because that leaves them feeling like they're insane. And boy, they don't like to be feeling that way. What are you trying to say that I'm unreasonable? And and you're just like, what is the right answer to this question? Like, I quit. I can't answer this.
0: I used to say, I think you, I, I think, I feel like you just want me to be a robot
1: that you can program. Correct, and you can't say that to them because yeah, they're get be incensed, right? So <laughs> when you work, so in essence, what you can't do is you can't show them the playbook. That's mm-hmm. the mistake most people make in a narcissistic relationship Absolutely. divorce. Like, because people watch my videos, read my books, whatever, and they'll say, "Oh, I'm married to a narcissist. I'm going to let them know." Like, you just want me to be a robot, or you, right? You right now, yes. you know have the blueprint. So you know how this thing works, but you don't tell the thing you know how it works.
0: And now a quick word from our sponsor. Wait, that's me. I know I have a lot of podcast episodes for you to get through, and it can be really, really overwhelming to try and figure out where to start or to comb through which ones might be uh, appropriate for you, whether you're... Trying to decide whether to stay or go, or you're already on the other side of the divorce process. Like, how do you know what to listen to? I have solved the problem for you. All you have to do is go to kateanthony.com/slash-playlist, answer a few short questions, and I will send you a curated list of podcast episodes to best support you as you navigate these tricky waters. I'll also help you identify where you currently stand on this journey and what's ahead with resources to help you move through this process with knowledge and grace. So all you need to do is go to kateanthony.com slash playlist, answer a few short questions, and you will have your curated list of podcast episodes that will support you wherever you are in your journey. And now back to our show. Right, you don't go and they're like, "I figured it out." You're an abuser, right? It doesn't. I did that too. Um, you know, this is all all the mistakes that I made, and it and it doesn't work. It makes them angry. Obviously, like nobody in the world is like, "Oh, I'm a narcissist." Oh, I'm an abuser. Oh, oh, I understood because we. But, but again, that goes back to yep. the contract. Yeah. Because if you're in this to love me and for this to be an exchange of energy, then. Of course, you would want to know that you, that you don't want to be abusing me. Right. 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 So I think all of this is sort of leading to this concept that you put forth in the book of radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, also sort of a, a foundational point, part of Tina Swithin's uh, high conflict divorce coaching program, right? That she also talks about with helping our clients and helping people to get to this place of radical acceptance, which is so difficult. And we've been talking, I think we've been talking about radical acceptance without naming it as such, right? Mm -hmm. So can you define what you mean by radical acceptance?
1: So radical acceptance is the clear and unyielding recognition and then acceptance that this really isn't going to change. And whatever little bit of change that might happen will never be enough to either heal the wounds or make this a healthy relationship. Radical acceptance is not signing off on it. A lot of people say, does radical acceptance mean I accept it? No, it doesn't mean accept in that way. It doesn't mean that you're saying, oh, all of that what happen was fine. None of it was fine. It was actually quite atrocious. But the, the other part of radical acceptance though, is that, is how this will move forward. It's, it's, Radical acceptance means that post-separation abuse is probably going to happen. Radical acceptance means that this custody thing is going to be a nightmare till all of these kids are eighteen. Radical acceptance means that I'm going to feel grief when I do this because I had an entire narrative about wanting to grow old with this person. Radical acceptance means I am. This is going to hurt. There's no. Oh, I'm not. They don't live here anymore. I'm happy. All of those things fall into that bucket of radical acceptance that this is going to be uncomfortable. I think the mistake some people say is, now that I know they're narcissistic, I'm going to get out and I'll feel better. Down the line, you will, but not initially. Initially, mm-hmm. you're actually almost going to, a lot of people will say, I almost thought this was harder than being in the relationship. But to really, really see something clearly, without exception, without, and, and really say, mm, yeah, no, this is it. And it is yeah. not going to change. That's radical acceptance and it is not easy to do. And the measure of it is really when a person's radically accepted and the narcissistic person does something toxic or cruel or manipulative or whatever it may be, that we'll have a react. We'll still be hurt. People say, does radical acceptance means I'll no mean I'll no longer be hurt. Hell no. You're a human being. Someone says something hurtful to you. Even if you know what they're about, it will still hurt. You will still be affected. I always say the goal of radical acceptance is that you're no longer surprised.
0: Yes, right. And you talk about, you know, you have a wonderful thing about this, about surprise, right? That that notion when people say, like, I can't believe he did this right. when he's been doing that for, right. you know, 35 years. <laughs> Yeah. You say, when I guide people through healing from narcissistic abuse, we work on the issue of surprise, mm-hmm. the agitation, they experience after looking at yet another toxic text message, email or conversation mm-hmm. and saying, I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. How could he do this? And having radical acceptance means you are less surprised. And in fact, would actually be surprised if these things didn't happen.
1: Correct. That's exactly right. So that's yeah. where when you can, and I know people haven't radically accepted when they'll come into a session, agitated. I can't believe they did this. I can't believe they did this. Like I said, Absolutely, I understand the hurt. Absolutely, I understand the grief. The surprise, though, means we're not fully at radical acceptance.
0: And it's just the idea of accepting, right? The other thing that you talk about with radical acceptance is that the main barrier to radical acceptance is hope. And then in order to have radical radical acceptance, you kind of have to give up. Well, not kind of, you do. You have to give up hope. mm mm-hmm. And there's so much grief on the other
1: side of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it is. Exa- that's exactly what it is. And hope is what has kept a person going for years in these relationships. It's going to get better someday. I mean, I, and, and maybe it's also not helped by the future faking that the narcissistic person's engaging in. I'm going to go in therapy, I'm going to spend more time with the family after we get through this financial quarter, or once the whatever happens, or the promotion, or the this, or the that, or the something Things will get better. So you're also being sold that those moving goalposts, that future faking, that can keep people in the game because they're selling the only thing that anyone ever wants. They're selling the hope, right? But Mm -hmm. the hope is what has kept it going. So radical acceptance, lifting the hope out for a lot of people, that's going into the abyss because they're saying, now that that's gone, that was what I was going, living on for years and years and years. Now that's gone. Now you're having to live on something else, which is what does the future look like when you're not being manipulated, gaslighted and all those other things. But in the initial period, there's so much uncertainty that hope has got to get replaced with something else, a hope for oneself, a hope Mm. for what life could look like when you're not having to deal with this nonsense all the time.
0: There is hope for a better life. And I think most of my listeners know you know that from my own experience right and that's actually possible for you too it really is it is available it's not just some special thing that was granted to me or to, you know no. like right so if you have radical acceptance i think this is a great thing that you address in the book too having does having radical acceptance mean you have to leave
1: no it's where my approach to this i know varies from other people like if you know this is happening you got to go it's just not an option available to everyone i think radical acceptance and healing even if a person cannot leave a marriage immediately or not even for a long time or perhaps even ever i think it's all possible i think it's different i definitely think it's different i think there's more setbacks Bit, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, they're going to be, mm-hmm. you're going to be incurring more wounds and hurts because the person is still there. But I absolutely think that a person can radically accept and say, this is what I'm dealing with. I got it now because now each person's shifting out of self-blame. Mm-hmm. they know the gaslighting is coming. Again, they have the blueprint, they have the template, they have the answer key. And they say, okay, this is now I know. Now I know what this is going to be like. There's a lot of workarounds a person may have to engage in, but you were already doing the workarounds. You just didn't realize what they were about. People would do the workarounds in narcissistic marriages and feel bitter. This relationship is balanced. It's not equitable. I'm doing everything. Once you get to radical acceptance, you're like, I'm going to do everything because this may be the only way my kid gets to go to the right camp or we get the right dog food or whatever it may be that this is a way to get things done right. People might think, well, isn't the narcissistic person winning because they don't have to do those things. They never were doing the things. So if you want them done, you're going to have to do them. And there's no version of this where you're going to create this, this, this person who's going to, oh, sure, I will be, I will do my half of things. It's just not going to happen.
0: If you're in radical acceptance and you stay, when they come at you with the gaslighting or anything, it's easier to go, Oh, look, there he goes doing that thing again. Yes, yes, yes. Right. As opposed to being sucked into it, you oh. are now, you have, there is a, there's a clear boundary between you and the experience. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know, and so hopefully there's a protection there one of the things you say too is that you you want people to give it space right to breathe like once you've come to radical acceptance now it's not the time it's actually not the time to make the decision
1: no not in the early phases of radical acceptance because you're you're coming into a reality so different than the one you were in initially it's a period of of acclimatizing Right. It would be like if you moved, uh, like if you move from a warm place to a cold place or a low altitude to a high altitude. There is a moment of acclimatization of like, this is a new world I'm in of radical acceptance and things look different and feel different and are different. So you need to sit with that for a minute. You really, really do. And you, and, and that's actually not the time to make decisions. It might be the time though to start getting help, allies, and tools. Therapy with somebody who gets this. Um, some people might plop down the one-hour fee of an attorney, or some attorneys have free consultations to say, can you help? Me? Here's my tax return. Can you ha- tell me what I'm looking at here? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. well, what is this going to look like? What can I expect in this process? It doesn't even mean you have to retain the person, but you you may you want may want some guidance on what this is going to look like in your particular case. You may read books, but the difference is is that now you're reading them with a very different eye. Whereas even a week before, two weeks before, you were thinking this could change or something I can do. You've taken that away. You right. know, And now you're you're approaching this from a very, very different model, very different right. angle. So you need to get used to that. And once you do that, because I think a lot of people panic and say, oh, God, now I have to get a divorce or no, I've got to go. And what am I going to do when a kid is four and this and that? I said, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything. You need to right. sit with this for a minute.
0: And I think that's a, re- a really interesting point that like you're reading the books now to figure out how you are going to, you're really reading the books for yourself, not for how to get them to change. Which Mm -hmm. is a different, a completely Mm -hmm. different mindset. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: How do you help people get to radical acceptance? Because it kind of feels like a like a magical threshold that gets crossed, right? And so, how do you guide people over
1: that? I don't even think it's a magical threshold. I think it's a process, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's a gradual process. What you know, there's a couple of different ways. I think one, what I do with clients, I recommend in the book is you make a list. You make a list of all the things that happened in the relationship, everything, every hurtful thing you can remember. You might go through old text messages. You may talk to people who remember it. You might dig out old emails. You might write down the memories and you might get into 10, 20, 50, hundreds of these things. It's important to have it written down Mm -hmm. because when you're caught in the storm of do I, don't I, logistics, all that, you look at that list and think. Whether I do or don't now, I got at some point. So you see it's a reminder because it can be very easy for a person who's slowly getting into radical acceptance to have a pullback and say, well, I don't know, maybe it's not that bad. And my sister's marriage isn't that great either. And, you know, I was talking to my friend and she got divorced and this would be even worse for her. And, you know, all that stuff is I think writing it down is a big Mm -hmm. one. The other thing I tell people to do is write down all the small things you've given up in your life that matter to you to make this relationship work. Everything from the type of TV shows you might watch, to friends you no longer socialize with, to places you gave up ever traveling to, to how you do family vacations, all of it. Write that down and think okay, not only have all these bad things happened, these are the things I gave up. And your third list might really be. What are the things that I potentially might allow myself to do if I wasn't in this controlling space anymore? Maybe I'd go back to school. Maybe I would write that book. Maybe I'd start a blog. But these are things that probably the narcissistic person would make fun of, set barriers to, or just make into such a humiliating and degrading process, you don't want to do it. Or you just don't know how they're going to be on any given day. And thinking like if they have one of their tantrums on a day you have a class, you wouldn't be able to go or something. So Mm -hmm. it's weighing those kinds of things out. That's a big, big part of it is is taking your time with sort of almost doing the excavation of what happened in the relationship and really seeing it. Because once you really see it, especially all the bad things that happened, you start to see the consistency in the patterns. Coupling that with therapy can be very, very useful because Mm -hmm. the therapist can help a person sort of stay the line in a way. And I think that that's a big one as well. But it's to not also feel that there needs to be a fast forward button on this process. So many people are like, I want to be healed in six weeks. I want now that I've radically accept, it, I want to be out in a year. I am like, let go of the calendar. <laughs> you, you will you will yeah. slowly yeah. walk through this process. And for many people, once they radically accept, and the first time they articulate, this isn't working out. I hope this I can get out of this. In my mind, as a shrink, they're out. Mm-hmm. Now it's right. a matter now, the rest of it is logistics. There, that's all it is. It's now they're out. Right. All of the rest of it is just all the, 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 the hoops one needs to jump through and the legal wranglings and all of that. Sure. Right.
0: Once you say it out loud, even to one person, mm-hmm. it, the cat's out of the bag. You can't, you can't mm-hmm. put it back in. Mm-hmm. And I think we know that unconsciously even, right. That we're not going to like that. As soon as we admit it, we are, we are, you're right. We're on the other side. Those exercises sort of call to mind that, especially the the second two, we're reminding ourselves of who we are mm-hmm. and what we lost. We're, like by looking at what we gave up, we're also reminding ourselves of who we are mm-hmm. and connecting with that authentic self, which in my work with clients, we, I start with, right? Like we have to, because. That feels so lost, mm-hmm. right? We, you can't make a decision about something if you don't know what mechanism is actually making the decision, mm-hmm. right?
1: That's right? That's right.
0: But also, the catch twenty two on that is that actually connecting with your authentic self when it's been so buried and hidden and and protected, right, for so long, is really complicated. That can be really. It's like a it's a it's a catch twenty two. Feels like.
1: Oh, it it absolutely is because you are... The authentic self isn't safe in a narcissistic relationship. It had to be completely repressed and constrained. In fact, if we look back to Freudian analytic work and we, you know, this idea of, I think it was, what was it, globus hystericus, to the way that the, the voice would get stuck, like it was either person almost couldn't speak themselves, right? And really, if we look at what Freudian hysteria was, it was women who were just completely subjugated by the time, the people of the time. This is no different. In a way, we're stuck. We cannot speak our true voice. Because that authentic self got buried for so long, the true self is the path to healing. And all of this Mm is who am I? What what am I? Who am I without this relationship in my life? How am I defined (gasps) without this relationship? And so... That it's a big, and I often use with clients the analogy of an excavation. I want you to imagine this is one of those archaeological digs you see with all the ropes and the layers and the levels and all that. And you don't just shove a bulldozer in there. You carefully pick away and brush away all of the layers one by one, gently wondering, learning, studying what you learn from each level you take away. And then at some point, you're going to start seeing the front end of your authentic self. Brush mm-hmm. it away gently, bring it out gently. And just how you've if you ever watched someone take a relic out of an archeological dig, they're holding it like it's a precious newborn. Mm-hmm. Hold yourself the same way. And not everybody, just like we don't let a newborn see everyone because they could get sick. Not everyone gets to see your authentic self. You learn to become discerning. Radical acceptance is learning who's safe. And you trust your gut. You trust that intuition that was there all along, but you couldn't give voice to in the marriage. And then you think, I don't know if I can show up as my real self with this person. I'm going to hold off here. And learning that discernment and practicing it is incredibly powerful because then you learn like this true self of mine, I'm not going to take this out everywhere, but in the right circumstance, I can, and I can be me. And that's good. Like it's a mm-hmm. good thing mm-hmm. that, that is a, that's where as, as healing gets to its higher and higher levels.
0: Right. And that's when you're able to discern what what true intimacy is, right? When when you've when you have opened yourself to your authentic self to somebody who is who you've already deemed safe to do so mm-hmm. with, right? And then when you do are able to do that, it's that's that's intimacy.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: I How love beautiful. that analogy of the the excavation. Mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful because it is, it's so careful.
1: Mm -hmm. so careful it's so careful tools you're digging some doing it in the most careful excruciating way and that's the day after day of this kind of lifting it up
0: and so once you've done that you and this is this is something that my listeners are going to be really mad about and i also think it's one of the more important things is the one-year detox
1: yeah yeah people don't like people
0: don't like it they
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it. I'm gonna tell you now, I I've I've always seen how it backfires because I'll tell you what it is. Every time mm-hmm. the carved-in patterns of being in a narcissistic marriage, of getting up and clearing the table, of do you want me to get that? Let me get that for you. The um we can where you go where you want to go. Oh, yeah, sure. I love football. You don't like football. And <laughs> whatever it may be, the it takes a year not only to clear out, to do that excruciating dig, but also to determine what it is you like and to hold on to that. So when the person says, um, let's say you you're very vegetarian and you're constantly having to you know constantly having to deal with that in in the relationship, saying no, I'm really doubling down on this. Being vegetarian mm-hmm. is important to me. And you meet someone new, and they are not able to. And and they're pushing back on that. You can give yourself permission after a year of doing this work saying, Oh no, I, I this this actually matters to me. And here I am again, having to make allowances for this nonsense. Most people I know, if you've ever been fishing this, you got to throw away the fish that's too small. And if you, you know, and if you're unsure, you throw away the fish that you could have kept that's too big. I have to say most survivors end up throwing fish fish that were probably keepable, and that's okay. It's okay. It's okay okay to be overcautious. But that year is everything. It's a year of birthdays. It's a year of anniversary dates. It's a year of holidays. Every single thing can be established anew. And when you go in too quick, invariably, you have not had a chance to erase the old and to rewrite these tracks for yourself. And I tell people, listen, they're like, are you kidding me? I dated a narcissist for six months. I'm supposed to wait a year. I said, no, then it's, if it's under a year for relationships under a year, you can do the detox for as long as a relationship lasted eight months, nine months, six months. But if a year or longer, it's a year out. And a lot of people, again, will say, gosh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm not getting any younger and this and that. I'm thinking, what do you want? Waste another five years in a toxic relationship. Right. But the, yeah, I really do see that it is it's always better for those who can wait.
0: I can confirm because I didn't. And I see it with my clients all the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. even in dating, right? Because, you know, oh, but I'm just going to date, but but you're not because you're not right. The idea that you're that you're presenting is that, I'm get like, I have, I've excavated these layers so carefully and it is like this newborn and now I'm going to let it grow and I'm going to like, let it incubate and I'm going to let it, you know, I'm going to let my authentic self take root before allowing anyone to come in and disrupt it. Right. And it well, takes time.
1: It, it, t- so you can discern. So you're not, I mean, I say to people, this is a year of, of, of doing things on your terms it it takes falling asleep alone for a year for you to determine i actually like reading until 10 o'clock at night i you know even say come on how many relationships are compromised and they meet you meet someone maybe they don't like that That might, who knows, after all the years of suffering in a narcissistic relationship, maybe that is the deal breaker. Maybe you figure out what fights are worth fighting for. Like, okay, maybe it's not that I have to always leave the lights on to read until 10 o'clock, but I sure would like to read before I go to bed. And that was completely forbidden when they were with the narcissistic person, that kind of thing. So it's every little thing of life that needs to be rethought, even about beliefs, ideologies. A person may say, I had to listen to their really problematic beliefs for such a long time. I don't want to listen to that stuff anymore. I'm not interested. I I need to be with somebody who shares values and worldviews with me. And then Mm -hmm. that might be something that someone holds out for. So, it's been, I mean, I have to tell you, I've walked many, 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 many people through the post-narcissistic, you know, dating landscape. And, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it's a bit like walking on thin ice, right? The way we tentatively might put a, or even watching a cat walk across something, how tentative they are. They're very careful. Like, is this going to be safe under my foot? They're very, very careful. Cats are. And mm-hmm. when we walk on thin ice, uh, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you put your foot on the ice. Is this going to hold? Right. You tap it a little bit. And then you take another step. That's what we can do if we wait a year. Otherwise, I think you're just running into the middle of the pond to be swallowed up by the the cold water.
0: Uh, I this is all this book. I just I want everyone to buy it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Remind us when it comes out, and it's
1: everywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When is it coming? February. February twentieth, two thousand twenty-four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's already available for pre-order everywhere. So right. you can get out there and you can pre-order it and it'll be sent out to you immediately as soon as it comes out and it'll, you know, and you'll get ahead of the curve and, and start, you know, you can mark it up, you can use it any way it feels right for you. But I do think that, and this isn't just about intimate relationships. It could be people of narcissistic parents or narcissistic bosses or narcissistic siblings or friends or even narcissistic adult children.
0: Yeah, I have, you know, a lot of that. And it was, there were, there were moments, I will say, reading this book that I was getting like, oh God, this is hard. Oh God, this is hard. And also, (laughs) you know, it's one of those things where it's hard and validating and clarifying, which is, I think the best kind of book there is.
1: Thank you so much. It means a lot to me, especially someone with your expertise and working with people going through some of the worst of this in the circumstances of their divorces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much.
0: I was going to say, where can everybody find you? I'm assuming everybody knows where to find you, but we're gonna we're gonna tell tell them anyway.
1: <laughs> you can always go to my website, drromney.com, and there you can find information not only about my books, but also we have a healing program for survivors of narcissistic abuse that meets monthly, and we have other all kinds of other stuff happening. So you can go check all that out. My YouTube channel is a great place to find me. We have new videos coming out every single day. You can also um, listen to my podcast, Navigating Narcissism, and we're hoping to resurrect that with new episodes sooner rather than later and I have other books too but you know this one is really on healing the other ones are descriptive this one really takes on how do you take yourself back and so all of those are different ways that you can find me and then all the information about the book and all of our pre-order events and everything we're having are all on the website
0: right and it's dr ramani spelled out right
1: d-o-c-t-o-r right Uh-huh. yeah
0: Romney, thank you so much for being here and for sharing this book. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.